Um, first Matthew 22 verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And you're going to kind of flip to Matthew 28. All the way at the end. Pick up in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My intention for this Sunday was to kind of do like a year review for us, like what's been happening and what has the Lord been doing. I think it's worthwhile to just think about just for a little bit as far as what has the Lord actually done in 2017, at least with our church, within our church family, with like each one of you. Like what has the Lord done since last January to right now? And it's very worthwhile to think about because it's not just, um, I mean, the church is made up of people, right? And so basically whatever's happening in your life, what you feel like the Lord is doing in your life, that is helping build towards what happens here. Whether it happens here actually on a Sunday, that's, you know, kind of a side issue. The main issue is that is the transformational work, is his narrative and his voice becoming alive in our hearts? And what is the fruit of that? What does it look like? What's actually happening? And there's a tremendous amount of value to just sit quietly and just think and just kind of remember and have our mind go to places. And it can go to some rough places during the year. It can go to some happy places. You know, it just... But it's worthwhile to sit there and to think and just like, Lord, in 2017, like, I know you were there. Refresh my mind again. Like where you were at, what you were doing. And even things that you started in 2017, you still got to finish in 2018, or maybe 2020. But you started a good work, I know of something in 2017. There's a tremendous amount of value to do that. And all through the Bible, God's people were always encouraged to just sit in His presence. And they were always encouraged to have special days, feasts, holidays, where they just remembered what he had done. And those days and those feasts were just dedicated to that. Just to make sure that we don't forget, because we can forget really easy. And sometimes we can just get caught up in all the difficulty of all kinds of things. So, I wanted to just talk a little bit about that this morning. I also wanted to talk about, briefly, you know, just what are, what are we doing here? 
as a church family? Like, what exactly is Calvary Chapel Naugatuck doing? It's worth a lot of talk about that. We won't get to that in all of its entirety, but the good news is we have all of January. <laughs> and that's the whole plan for all of January because there's going to be um, some really good changes that are going to be happening, which I'm very excited about. And so January is going to be like really as far... It's going to be like a refreshed vision. That's like the month of January. It's just going to be a refreshed vision. So as what is the Holy Spirit doing? What's He doing? Because it's so much more about the us just getting together here um, on a Sunday morning. So I'm excited about that. So I want to talk about a little bit what's the point of a church. And then I just want to encourage our hearts in some things from Psalm 145. So I don't know if that's necessarily like a really legit sermon, but that's what I have. All right? So here's what we got. For us as a church, honestly, our church family, what are we doing here? What's the point of why we gather and what we're doing? You know, the reality is, in every church membership class that we do, I always make a point to say this, nowhere um, does Jesus, and even in the New Testament, is there lots of detail about a church gathering. Like, who says you come in and you do songs in the beginning? Like, did you do them in the end? Or all throughout the whole thing? You can. Um, Who's to say uh, that church has to be an hour, or an hour and a half? or three hours, or whatever. Well, nobody says that. We kind of just go sort of just based on our culture and where we're from and kind of what we're familiar with. Um, Who's to say that we have to do communion the way that we do? Don't have to. Um, There's a lot of things like that. I remember for the longest time, you know, instruments to be used as like worship. That was like a huge debate in the church for a really long time. It's like, you know. Because the devil and the enemy was a worship leader and he worshipped well and all that stuff. and It's like, oh, we can't bring instruments into it. It's going to distract us and that stuff of the enemy and the devil and we can't bring it into the church. and Just all these things like, what are we doing exactly? Well, what we're doing exactly is we are coming together as it says right here, Ecclesia. Everybody say Ecclesia. That's the only word really used as far as signifying and referring to a church in the New Testament. Jesus used it like once. One time. In the book of Acts, it's used several times. Ecclesia. Here's what that means. That just means an assembly of people, that's us, that's just called out. It specifically means a called out assembly of people. So it just means, what do you mean called out? It means that God has done a work in their hearts. There's something that has happened there. And they have a strong desire to get together with other Christian brothers and sisters where God has done a work in their hearts. And so they actually, on a Sunday where you could be getting chores done, right? you could be catching up on bills, you could be cleaning a particular area of your house, you could be doing whatever, watching football, doing whatever. And that's what people typically do on a Sunday. Because that's like a time to make up stuff. But what God's people typically do is they say, well, yeah, I know I have to do all that stuff, but I need a point during a week where I'm called out, where God calls me away from all of that, and I gather together with my brothers and sisters. We stir one another on in love and good works, like it says in Hebrews, and then we go back to whatever we were doing. And the way we do whatever we do when we leave here, it's done a totally different way. 
because he's leading it. He's guiding it. He's showing us different ways to do all the responsibilities that we have to do. Whether it be our jobs or our chores or, um, you know, be with our kids or be with other uh, members of family, whatever it is. The way we do it, our motivations behind it is totally different. And church helps to get us there. And it's very true that somebody can have a relationship with God and with Jesus, bless you, and uh, not, you don't need a church to have a relationship with Jesus. I'll say it that way. But if somebody says that they have a relationship with Jesus, but they intentionally make themselves isolated from God's people that come together and worship, I mean... It makes me really wonder when somebody says that to me. It's like really suspect. You love Jesus so much, you don't want to be around his people and his presence? I don't understand that. Um, that's, not, that's not at all the way we were called to live. Like The way the whole book of Acts is carried out in the New Testament, it was in community where they were together. It says they devoted themselves to prayer, to worship, breaking of the bread, everything they had, they shared in common. And they were able to just minister and outreach and do different things. They came together. They were called out from the business of life and all the things that they had to do. They were called out. How were they called out? The Spirit did a work in their hearts. He's actively doing something with them. And they need a place. They need somewhere they can, where they can come together and celebrate the good work and good news that Jesus is doing. Because all of us know you can't really do it like at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday at your job. You have work to do. And even if you were to celebrate it, I don't know how many people would actually be celebrating with you there. And so we need a place, we need a group of people, and God in His infinite love, grace, and mercy has said, listen, when Jesus leaves, it's not like the earth is missing out. My church will be there. My bride will be there. And that's all of us gathered together. So it's actually just a tremendous opportunity and privilege we get to have. And I was kind of joking around in the beginning, but actually, you know, it's actually pretty significant when it's really cold outside and we don't feel like coming out to go worship and we make the step and we do do it. That's significant. It's significant. Because the truth of the matter is, it's very important to the enemy and to the devil that you don't be here. It's very important that you don't come. It's very important that you do not intentionally surround yourself, surround myself, with worship songs of praise, with truth that's being declared, with reading from His Word. It's very important from the enemy's standpoint that you don't surround yourself with that and stay meditated in it. Because the problem is, if you do do that, you will be able to recognize the lies from the truth. And there are lies that the enemy wants to sell you on in your life. All kinds of lies. And it's very important that we come together as a community and we celebrate truth and we worship truth and we give praise and glory to God and honor to Him. And it's like He comes in and just just wipes out those lies. Or at least he makes them vividly clear lies and we just got to come to a place of repentance and say, oh my goodness, I've bought into that for so long. It's robbed so many years. There's a very interesting psalm in Psalm 73 where somebody is really struggling. He, he was a worship leader. 
He's like, man, I am just, I am hurting. I'm struggling. I'm sliding. I'm, I'm on a slippery slope right now. And I can't tell anybody because I'm a worship leader. If I tell everybody, it's like, it doesn't look good. And I think I'm going to hurt a lot more people than I help. So I had this guilt thing going on too. And what he says, Psalm 73, what he says, he says, none of it made sense until I came into the sanctuary. And then I started to understand. And it's like this church brought body, it brought perspective. And the unfortunate thing is, us in the West, we very much consumerize church. Ecclesia, the called out assembly. We've now made it like, well, if that works for me, like I guess maybe I'll involve myself in it. I'll choose to involve myself in it if I do like that particular set of songs. Right? I, I will do it if I get along with that particular group of people. I will involve myself over here if it doesn't make me too uncomfortable. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because God wants to call out His people to come together in unison and worship and in unity. And when He gets all of His daughters and sisters together, we need everybody. Everybody's an important role, an important part, and carries a tremendous amount of value. And so then when one piece, you know, when one toe says, nah, I don't think so, it's just not for me. That's hurting the rest of the body. And so we have this tremendous opportunity of church. And ultimately, the bottom line goal for any church, you should always have the same bottom line goal. How you do it is just, that's just the flavor of what the Holy Spirit's doing. He just does different things in different places in different ways. And if we were to go to Sunday morning service in Zimbabwe right now, it's going to look totally different. Does that mean they're doing it wrong? Heck no. It's by no means our goal or desire to set the precedent for what church should be everywhere. And it's also a misnomer to think that one church should just be a one-stop shop and have everything you always need. That's, that's wrong. Because if that was the case, didn't it be like if Calvary Chapel Nogatuck had everything that anyone could ever need in life? You could see how that could be idolatry and how they'd be like somehow specially set apart and totally unique. And that would be totally out of balance for the entire bride of Christ, which is all intended to... Co- we will complement Zimbabwe. We will complement what's happening in New Haven. And there will be things happening in New Haven that, hey, listen, we got going on here really good that they're not good at down there. It's just what it is. And there will be things here that, man, we stink and we struggle at and we're trying to grow towards, and a church five miles away is killing it. So perfect churches don't exist because people are the problem. (laughs) We are the problem. And so it's really significant to come to a place and say, okay, Ecclesia, we're just a called out assembly of people. It's not predominantly about which church like best meets my needs, like a Walmart. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's just, listen, do they believe in Jesus? Do they believe in the Bible? Like, Do they seem submitted to his authority and leadership and they're intentional and they're hungry about it? All right, then I can plug in there. Well, I don't get along with this guy over here and that leader over there and this person over there and I don't like that. Listen, it's so easy to pick out things you don't like. And for us, we're a small church. So it's like, we don't have a whole lot of bells and whistles and a lot of things going on. But I'll tell you this, as we grow, because the intention is to grow. 
And that's also God's intention. As we grow, things are going to change a lot and there'll be a lot more people in the mix. And I really hope, I, I hope the enemy doesn't win a lot of people by a lot of people saying, oh, it's just so different now. You know, I just, it's not good for me now. You know, I just don't. Ah, that's, that'd be bad, right? That'd be bad. So Ecclesia, it's a called out assembly. The way we do it's going to look very different. And the goal is not to have, hey, listen, that's the model church. We just copy that way and that's just the way to do it. No. It's a living organism with people, living, live people in relationship with God and churches look very different no matter where you go. And so we shouldn't be ashamed either about what we have and about what we have going on. Just like a church in Iowa in the cornfield shouldn't be ashamed of what the Lord is doing there either. And it's not our job to go tell them what to do and how to do church and ministry, nor is it their job to come tell us how to do it. Because none of us have a monopoly or a hold on this thing. We're just called to play our part. We're just called to say, listen, Lord, we want to be faithful in Naugatuck and in this valley. Father, what is the assignment? What are you calling us to do? And 99% of the time, it's going to look very different than what he's going to do in Wallingford at a church there. And we just, we have to have some security about that. Like, yeah, I understand. Well, praise God, it's what he's doing there. Well, mine doesn't look like that, and it doesn't happen like that. Well, listen, you know how you get into problems with that with other people? My life doesn't look like theirs. I don't have what they have. It's not going down like that. How good is that for you? It doesn't work out good personally. It certainly doesn't work out for good for groups of churches to do that. So bottom line, we as a church, Ecclesia are called out. We are called to what Joe read. Fulfill the greatest commandment. Love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as we love ourselves. That has to happen. Number two, we have to fulfill the Great Commission. If I'm in a church, or we're in a church, and they're really not just, they're not making any disciples. They continue to meet together with a group of people, but they're not making disciples. Church leadership, if I was the leadership of that church, I'd ask myself, be like, you know what, maybe like our time has kind of passed by, or we're just not, we're not getting it done. Like, we have a lot of nice people, and we get together, and we do some nice things, but we're not making disciples. You understand what I'm saying? We're called to make disciples, to lead people into relationship with their Father. Humanitarian efforts are awesome and wonderful. But the church of God isn't called to be the Red Cross. When we have opportunity to do Red Cross things and maybe give some blood or help somebody out, donate an organ, whatever it is, and what puts in your heart, go after it and do it. But ultimately, all that we do is, listen, how can we make disciples? We want to lead people into relationship with God because that's what it's about. That's the whole reason a church exists. It doesn't exist to pay anybody's salary. It doesn't exist to occupy space. It doesn't exist to make people feel good about themselves. It exists for whatever God wants to do with it. And that makes us very uncomfortable. Because we like our people and we like our, you know, our groups and we just like familiarity a lot of times. And Jesus is very much known for shaking those things up. I love it. Whenever Jesus got a really big crowd, he would say something ridiculous, like, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. What the? <laughs> this is the guy we're following? 
Like he would just get radical about stuff. Whenever he got big crowds, it's very interesting. And he would just thin it out with something crazy. He'd be like, how insensitive was that? I, mean, I don't know. Jesus said it. So I, I don't know. But. It's interesting, though. It's not about gaining large crowds. It's, not a, it, it's so much about accomplishing the assignment that God has set before a church family. You can have a very healthy church of 35 people. You can have a very healthy church of 25,000 people. Does the 25,000 church then become better than the 35? And should that 25,000 tell the 35 what to do? No, I think that's probably a bad situation. If that 35 is pumping out, making disciples and equipping and sending out, it's killing it. What else are they supposed to be doing? They're not supposed to be trying to look like the 25,000. If that 25,000 is really excellent at just keeping their 25,000 and have amazing programs and it's all very showy and very amazing and they're not pumping out true disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, other than a show, I'm not sure what they're doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's just, it's just weird for us because we're in the West and we like entertainment and we like showy things and we like flashy and we think that the Lord is very much into showy, flashy, increasing numbers and lots of excitement. The, the Lord does make us excited. That's true. But I promise you, He doesn't really want to be, His church to be known for really good and excellent performances and shows. The Lord wants His church to be known for a people that know how to connect to His heart, know how to access His power, and use His word and authority. That's what He wants His church to be known for. And that is the journey that we are on. And we here in Naugatuck, we have an assignment. What is it? I'm glad you asked. I can tell you for sure, it's definitely, you know, fulfill the greatest commandment and the great commission. But how, in what way, what does that look like for us? Well, I want to give you some highlights from the past year. I wanted to create for you a nice little infographic and put it up here and be really fancy and cool, but I didn't get a chance to do it. I'll probably send it out this week. Um, I'll do it this week. But what I wanted to do is... um, I wanted to share with you some highlights. I was talking with Julia. I was like, babe, I was like, you know, this past year, what do you think? Like, what was the thing that stands out to you the most? You know, just for you personally this year at church. And I'll get to her answer in a minute. But it's worthwhile for you to think about, you know, like, for you personally, like, what sticks out to you the most? And you don't have to say anything out loud, but it's worthwhile to think about. But here's some things. I, I got a long bullet-pointed list. So just listen. And... and and see if maybe it just jogs your memory and just brings some things together. Here are some highlights that I have. And the reason why I write these down, I also want to say this too. I don't write these down, and it's not my intention to write these down to say, here's how awesome we are. I'm not super... I don't really care a whole lot about that. What I really care about is what we talked about. Are we moving forward towards the assignment where the Lord wants to bring us? That's really what I care about. So that's the heart behind sharing highlights. And we live in the ESPN Sports Center highlight things, you know, and we, we just like the highlights and, you know, make people feel good about stuff and sort of. My highlight reel is like 
when we are obedient and faithful with the Lord and trusted us with, and we made strides in those areas. That's like Sports Center for the church. You call that Sports Church or something? I don't know what you call that. But, but anyways, here's some things. So some highlights from 2017. We did a church fast at the beginning. I always think that's a highlight when we do a church fast. 21 days, beginning of the year. We got more people faithful in 2017 church fast than we had ever before in the history of the church. More participation, faithfulness, journaling, Bible reading, seeking the Lord's heart, challenging themselves in the arena of food for the sake to hear God's voice. That's a huge win to me. The Father looks down on that and He's pleased with that. It's a big deal. So church fast. This is our first year as a church where we had church membership like a policy in place and we had some sort of structure to it. And the interesting and cool thing is that every single time we've had a church membership meeting, people have been there every single time. And I kind of feel like it's going to be like that for a little while. We already have some people signed up for the next one. So that's very cool too. And it's interesting, you know, I was meeting with some other pastors a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the dynamics of a church plant and small churches and different things. And, uh, you know, one guy was talking, he said, listen, he said, when you got a smaller church and there's a church plant and you guys are just trying to find your way, he said, you don't even talk about church membership till at least three or four years into it. And I piggybacked on him and I was like, you got it. I said, we're six years in before we could, we're ever even out of place to where we could really say, Here's, here's, who we, here's what we are as a church family. And do you want to become part of what God is doing here? It just takes time. Can you imagine if day one at the Elks Lodge on Rubber Ave, when we were meeting with the kegs and beer everywhere and all that stuff, like, hey, be a member of our church. Really? How come? What do you guys do? I don't know. We get together on Sundays. Ah, uh, yeah. So, see you later. Right? Like, that's the way it would happen. You can't ask people to be a part of your church family if there's no real vision, direction, history, some sort of idea towards assignment. You hear what I'm saying? So again, that's significant to me that we had, you know, at least our first year, church membership, church family. Uh, we did our Jesus Loves You outreach. We provided meals and gifts to eight women and children, so about 14 people in all, uh, at a battered women's shelter in Waterbury. That's a big deal. That's outreach. Um, our youth leadership. Ian Christine. They aren't perfect. They don't have it down perfect, nor do they pretend to. But they got another year under their belt of the ministry school of hard knocks. <laughs> it's not easy, but that's significant. They didn't quit, which is interesting to me. They didn't quit. They could have. Very tempting. Especially in an environment like ours and, and the sort of the fight that you have to put up is hard. But they didn't quit. So either they're just super stubborn or the Lord is really helping them. Could be a little bit of both. <laughs> New beginnings. We did another 5K, which we didn't lose money on. And we did the bulk of the work. And we provided boxing gifts to, I think the number was like 62 kids. I mean, that's six, uh, you know, almost $8,000, you know, somewhere around there, $9,000 that we led the way on, helped to direct, coordinate, put together. We got rain on our 5K, but we still didn't lose money on it, which is good. These are significant things. You know, I was talking to a church of 600, and they're like, we don't want to try and do a 5K. I was like, you have a running town. Like, why wouldn't you do that? People will participate. Like, ah, oh, it's too much work. They're like, you guys had that handed to you. I said, what are you talking? No, we didn't. 
We had to work. I said, we had people at our church working to like try and coordinate, put things together. And you did? Yeah. Yeah, we did. You know? Thing is, we just don't complain every step of the way. We just get it done. Right? What else we got here? Um, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven baptisms this past year. Very good. We did our block party in the green where we joined with other churches. We had volunteers here also go and help out. Uh, another women's retreat where women went away and got fed. Um, we did some how-to inductive Bible study classes, how to study the Bible. Just how to study it. How to read it. How to learn from it. That's significant. We did like almost four classes of those. Because, you want to know why? Because you, hey, we are hungry. We want to know how to study the Bible. Tell me more. How do I study? What do I get into? What are the tools to use? How do I approach it? That's a tremendously good sign. That you introduce an inductive Bible study course because people are hungry and they want to hear it. Not because we say, hey, listen, everybody needs to know their Bible, so now we're going to institute a how to study the Bible class because everybody needs to know it. Do you see the difference? The second method is, hey, listen, they need to know it, so we're going to set it up and we're going to jam it. <laughs> the second method is, they've come to just a point in relationship with God and they say, I need more from Him. I need to be able to feed myself more effectively on His Word. That's good. Um, we had a marriage retreat where a couple of people went on. We did inductive Bible study through the book of James. We did a personal finance class. We had a youth leader conference. We were able to send uh, Christine and E away. We sent Joanna away to a Voice of the Apostles conference. It was like four days. You should ask her about it. She got rocked. Um, message on Maple. We did good this year. See how flat it is over there? So got work to go, but it's looking good. It's not a, it's like a golf course, that's right. <laughs> it's like a golf course. It's not like a hazard anyways. You could see down, you know, when you're driving down the road there, you can see down, see if any traffic's coming up. It's better. We're going to make it nicer, you know. People in town appreciate that stuff. Uh, we did a Rent-A-Warrior. We raked a couple of yards this year. Kids went to Reverb. They did all night. We did a joint churches, uh, youth groups, where they all served at Acts 4. Never done that before. Operation Head Start, we did 154 gifts. That's the most we've ever done. And we, we had zero, uh, at least from our church family, going into like the week before, but we were able to make it happen. You know what also I thought was cool? There were multiple times where people came in here and they just decorated the church. That's like a win. That just shows that people appreciate their environment and their surroundings and they just want to add to it. Like if people don't really care, they're not trying to decorate it. They're like, eh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? I thought that was cool. Um, big one. We met our budget, which was $7,000 more than last year. That's an 11% increase from last year. 11% from one year to the next. It's pretty significant when it comes to church budget. And not only did we meet it, we're going to exceed it. That's amazing. And we were in the hole. <laughs> it's not like we started off hot in January. We didn't really, it's kind of crazy. We didn't, you know, the Lord, it didn't really turn around to right at the beginning of summer. Who has like increased giving in summer? It's interesting. 
It's very interesting. Like that stuff doesn't happen unless the Lord does it. It's pretty much like if people aren't at church and the box isn't there, or the basket doesn't go by, they don't give. And that's what happens a lot during the summer, but it, it, it tends to be a situation where even if people were away, they're like, well, I'm not there, but I'm still giving. Just because I'm not there doesn't mean I'm not giving. And then they give online. This, this is all very significant. We had an increase in volunteers. Just almost just about everybody our church serves, which is ridiculous. New nursery, new preschool area, new website, new blog, which there's some good writing on there. If you haven't seen it, you got to look at it. It's really good stuff. Increased attendance on Sundays and Wednesday nights and small groups in general. That's another very healthy and good sign. Formation of just worship interest, people to play live worship. Uh, we advanced our partnerships with Calvary Chapel Network, Converge, and another Baptist network. Um, and remember I told you about Julie. I said, babe, what's your highlight of 2017? I already knew in my head. I already, I, it was a loaded question. I just wanted to see if she was going to answer the same. She didn't even skip the beat. She goes, the most memorable time was that pastor appreciation you know, in October. And I was like, I know. I know. Blew me away. So it just, that was just personally for us. That doesn't mean it was the best time of the year. That was just the most impactful one for us. But as you can see, there's a lot of things there for our church and where we're at moving towards our assignment. Our assignment, we still need to build together to have a firm foundation with the right people in the right places. We're still in that season. Which is not a bad season to be in. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's what the Lord is doing. And so what that means is that means there's going to be lots of opportunities and things to do. And that probably means we'll be put in uncomfortable situations and um, just be prepared to be even more stretched. That's all I can tell you. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. For 2018, areas where we need to grow. Right? So enough patting ourselves on the back. And, and honestly, that's not what it's about. Right? It's about just celebrating what the Lord is doing. Because I think that that list is just, it's, a lot of it is just what the Lord's doing. It's very difficult to judge the health of a church. Do you understand that most people judge, how many people, here's how most people judge a church. You leave on a Sunday and be like, well, how'd it go? And then people just give their opinions based on how they felt that Sunday and that's kind of like, well, that, I guess that's how it went. And then there's the over, that's just a Sunday morning snapshot. And then there's like the overall picture. Oh, what would you think about that church? And then most people are like, well, how many people are there? What kind of worship songs do they play? What kind of things do they offer? And then we just determine whether it's a good church or not from that. The interesting thing is, like we've talked about, it's very hard, and it's kind of a lot of work, to figure out if a church is really a quote-unquote good church and doing well. Because you'd have to kind of get involved to figure out, okay, what's the assignment on that church? What is the Lord doing there? And are they moving forward towards that? That takes time to figure out. You can't figure that out in one worship service. You can't figure it out in a month of worship services. You've got to be there for a long time to build relationships, to get to know people, to understand leadership. Even though what they preach doesn't mean that's actually what they do. And so like, it takes a long time to figure that stuff out. Thankfully, so far for us, there's been good continuity. Hopefully it stays that way. But things we need to grow in, 2018, 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, unity, just growing together, more one in heart, one in purpose, one in soul, one in mind. Because as we grow and we just see new people and new faces and things happen, a lot of times that just makes us uncomfortable. Because it is getting becoming different and shaping out differently, but that doesn't mean it's bad. But it's definitely invading on what we thought that we had and what was comfortable. And if our comfort level then determines if a church is doing good or not, we're in a very bad place. We have to be able to embrace what the Lord is going to do, whatever thing it might be. So unity is where we've got to grow. Um, connecting. We've all seen people and faces that have come through church, that have come through here, and it's just, they go through life, you don't see them for a while, then you see them, and then we just have to do a better job of just connecting with people that, you know, they pop in, they pop out, you know, they're struggling and going through things, but they don't connect real well. So unity and connection, they kind of go together. Leadership development. In 2018, there's going to be a big emphasis on just on developing people and their gifts and who they are and what God's doing. My plan to be super intentional towards that. Um, gift training and activation. Meaning, people carry the Holy Spirit and gifts. They carry prophetic gifts, words of knowledge, um, prayers for healing, um, words of wisdom, um, pastoral giftings, all kinds of things. I want to make sure that people have a chance to practice those things and like have like an avenue to like let it rip and see what the Lord does with it. It's going to look very different from time to time. Look uncomfortable and. Some people might get it wrong, but that's okay. We have to practice what we feel like the Lord has given us as tools to minister. A couple other outreach opportunities I'd like to do. Really solidify a worship team and figure out what's going to happen with our space. You know, we're just going to sit still up in here. So, there's definitely rooms to grow and increase what the Lord wants to do. He's done a lot of good things. And our assignment here at our church, so if we're a part of Calvary Chapel Naugatuck, what the Lord is doing currently in this season, He's forming a foundation, He's starting to put people in the right spots, solidify a strength. And then we're going to enter into a season of some significant breakthrough and release. So everybody has to hold on. And stay in and just be faithful. Alright? Because how you grow personally with the Lord in your own private time, in your closet, in your car, wherever, how you connect with His heart, however you grow in that way, that's what helps build the church. It doesn't really build the church if you can come up here and like say some really nice words. Because anybody can kind of, you can fake that over time. As you grow personally in your relationship with the Lord, you're helping to add to the body, bring life to the called out group, and give evidence of this transformational work. So never downplay your relational time with Him, because that builds towards the greater good. Because what He builds in you in private, He releases in public. And too many people are just trying to be like, I want to be public and I need, everybody needs to know what I have and what I can bring. Maybe. Probably heavily gifted. But listen, let the Lord do His work in private. And He will release you, I promise you. When people are mature and ready, there is a release. Because He wants those people in place. He knows they'll be good stewards. 
that will accurately represent him well. Psalm 145, I didn't forget. This psalm talks about his greatness, his grace, his goodness, compassion, glory, might, righteousness, all these things. So I want to encourage our hearts here on the last day, 2017. <clears throat> and actually, you know what? Let's pass out the communion elements, and I'm going to read it as we're just going to kind of sit and be listening to his voice during communion. So let's pass these out. And then I'm going to read that once we all have the elements here. Yeah, so I'm like, there we go. Thanks, guys. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 145 and just meditate on it. You can read along if you'd like or just listen. <clears throat> this is one of David's last psalms that he wrote. Actually, I believe it's the last one. He says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on all your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness 
and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men and women may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, but every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Jesus, we thank you for your great sacrifice. For your amazing model of truth, faithfulness, obedience, power, We thank you for all of it. And we thank you that your motivation behind all of it was a love for us. Knowing that we were stuck in sin and stuck in a place we couldn't get ourselves out of. So we just thank you for that. And we thank you for your blood that covers our life, makes us your child. It gives us an inheritance that's far beyond what we can imagine and releases an authority that I pray that we continue to grow in and understand better. So we thank you for your blood that covers us, and we plead it over our family, over this church, and over this area. And so we take and we drink. Father, we thank you for the bread of life. As we go through this fast, we're going to fast from food and we're going to feast on you. I pray that you'd fill us with a discipline and with a strength. And just release, Lord, just great encouragement and just the goodness of your heart that we even just read about, Father, the love toward all that you've made, Lord. And if we seek you, we will find you, Lord. We are intentionally seeking you these next 21 days to hear from you, to know you better, to better understand the assignment, not only for our church family, but for us as individuals. The calling that you have on each of us. There's a particular way that your Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives, where you want to test our faith, 
where you want to prune us so we can become more fruitful. And I pray for a spirit of truth and for a spirit of revelation to be unfolded during this fast like we've never experienced before. May we be encouraged to hold more tightly to your promises, to ask you for more, to believe you for more, to allow you to stretch us further. And so may your word guide us and encourage us. And so we take the bread and we eat. So let's stand. We're going to sing together in a song. We are... uh, I'll send out like a video or something this week talking about the fast and explaining the calendar and all that. So I'll just do that.